The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. I say I love you, I hold you near me, you say I scare you. Well, that's your fear I know the message My heart is sending But you don't read it You keep me guessing Is it love, is it love after? Is it love, is it, is it love? The broken record Goes round and round a circle without a sound. I'm underwater in overjoy. You hide in laughter. What's on your mind? Is it love? Is it love? Is it love? All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. It is Will and Sammy, the dynamic duo. The uh, I don't know what else, I don't know what other uh, tagline we can have for ourselves. Peanut butter to my Nutella. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so the peanut butter and Nutella crew are back together. So uh, yeah, peanut so it's, <laughs> so it's just us this week. So that's kind of a that's uh, you know it's been well, it's been a couple weeks at least since we did this. So uh, we are back, and uh, this week we have a show programmed for the uh, program for Japan thing we did. We are doing uh, the show from Sean, Sean Chicago. Um, he picked uh, Black Sabbath, which is a uh, Bava film from 1963, pretty infamous. Most people will know that probably. And uh, Stakeout from 1987, which is the uh, John Badham film. So we will get to those shortly. And the reason why we'll get to those shortly is pretty simple. Uh, between the two of us, we didn't watch a whole lot this week outside of the films for the show. So, uh, well, I don't know if you want to kind of explain your interesting week or you know say why you couldn't get to anything but it's pretty interesting yeah yeah i'll tell you man i, I kind of had like a mini streak going where i was thinking about this and i didn't watch anything that's that's where i landed and it was zero and uh it was a bit it was a bit heartbreaking i thought even up until you know late last night that maybe i could swing it but basically here's the way my week went last week so i worked my usual thursday to sunday 8 a.m to 10 p.m so that those days were watched usually i can squeeze in half a movie half a movie but i'm tired lately so um Oh, no, that was Thursday. No, wait. I'm already discombobulated. Let's start over. <laughs> Last Wednesday was my wife and I's four-year wedding anniversary. So Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's, uh, so, you know, Indonesian movies weren't in the cards for, uh, <laughs> for that. Okay. Uh, Thursday was just a normal 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. work day. Uh, Friday was our son's first birthday, so I worked until about 6.30, and then I rushed home. So I got some cake with him before he nodded off for the night, and I would nod off shortly after. Um, Saturday, we had a pirate party for our two boys, who's going to be first at the end of the month. So you, I just had pandemonium, like, you know, we talk about the Thunderdome. I mean, that's the Thunderdome. Turned up to 11. Yeah, really? Like 30, you know, 30 kids dressed as pirates and with wow. body craps and walked the plank. I see I my, I see my future and it doesn't feel bright. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, 
you know, you haven't lived until you've barbecued with an eye patch and uh, and a bandana on. Well, there was a little DGTMC in the day for me as I wore an eye patch, but I had to flip that thing out, man, a few times when I had the meat on the grill. So. Yeah, because the depth perception would be way off. Yeah, and then, you know, I started grilling my knuckles, man. I got the hamburger grill lines on my knuckles if uh, I had to cut that patch down, man. Nice. Oh, yeah, that was good. And then uh, Sunday we had a big Greek wedding, about 400 people. So, you know, that was, you know, pretty time-consuming. Mm-hmm. Monday was Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh, yes. So that was okay. And here we are Tuesday, and uh, I had to get up. I had to go to Cairo. I had to come see my mom, take the kids to the zoo, and... You know, here we are. So I've watched nothing. Um, I'm trying to think of anything TV, even TV-wise, that I've, I've gotten into. I, I can't just think of anything. But I will say this very quickly. I want to just mention my, my pick of the week for DVD very quickly, and that was uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, which I haven't seen yet, but I've already ordered it from Amazon. Uh, nice. Blue, of course. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're excited for it, too. Uh, it's been floating out there, but I didn't want to see it that way. I, I felt like, you know, Malick's an artist who right. I have a great admiration for. You know, I still haven't seen all of this film. I think I'm missing maybe... I haven't seen, um, what was it, Days of Heaven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we might so, do on the show at some point. Yeah, which would, you know, which would be good to do on the show at some point. But you know, a lot of admiration for him. And, and you, you and I talked about some films wallop us a certain way because of where we're at in our lives. And kind of a, you know, him being a master filmmaker, too, it was just kind of a double whammy. So everyone go out and, and buy uh, Terrence Malick's uh, Tree of Life if you can. So that was my week, man, uh, watching a lot of... Uh, a lot of kids and a lot of young married couples with stars in their eyes. What did, what did you get into for the lone, lone film this week between us? Yeah, I didn't get into a whole lot, but the one thing I did watch was a um, a documentary. I'd been looking forward to this. Uh, I don't know. I, I may have said this on the show before. One of my favorite things is when a filmmaker, a great narrative filmmaker, steps back and makes documentaries. Spike Lee does a really good job with that. Uh, there's other filmmakers who do it, obviously, but one of the best at doing it, and some people still don't know this, is Martin Scorsese. He he's really really good at it. I mean, he's mostly known for his narratives and for good reason, but uh, he actually is a very good documentary filmmaker as well. He puts a lot of style into his documentaries. He takes a very different approach to most documentary filmmakers. They still feel very Scorsese, even though they're giving you a lot of um, you know facts and he's feeding you a lot of information. So he made this documentary on George Harrison, the the guitar player of the Beatles. And it's about it's about three and a half hours to about four hours long. It's a long documentary. So I mean, I said, <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 it was aired over two parts, and I had it on the DVR, and I started watching. Well, the first hour and a half went by really quick, so I was like, well, I'll just go ahead and watch the second hour and a half because I was actually more interested. I know most of the Beatles stuff, right? But I was actually more interested in post Beatles stuff because George Harrison's a very interesting man, very spiritual man. Um, and he just had some very interesting ideas in life. And of course, you know, he was, you know, attacked and stabbed in his house, which they get into that a little bit, some very scary shit there. So talk about home invasion and the way Scorsese shoots it and everything else and talks about it. It's pretty creepy stuff. Uh, of course, Scorsese, you know, he would not miss an opportunity to make something creepy if he can do it, you know? <laughs> so they they get into that. They get into, obviously, you know, his fight with cancer and everything else. And a lot of his other things about how much of a, you know, how good of a father he was. And, you know, about some of the mistakes he made, some of his weaknesses and things like that. And, and it was just a really, really kind of touching story for, you know, it's usually the Beatle nobody talks about, right? I mean, we kind of know Ringo, Ringo, Ringo's going to be on the show. I mean, he's, gonna, he's in Blind Man. He's going to be on the show at some point. Yeah. Uh, John Lennon, we all know. And, of course, Paul McCartney, we all know, who for some reason got married again. I don't know what's up with that guy. But <laughs> Yeah, I saw that, man. I hope this one works better than Heather Mills does for him. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, there's a mean joke I could say in there, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to hold back. Oh, I know where you're going, but he was a cunt. <laughs> yeah, no. 
I know, but uh, so you know, but this is the you know the more the quiet beetle and stuff, and so there's a lot of good stuff in there. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Don't know if it'll be top ten. Don't even know if it'd be top twenty, but it might be. It might be bronze. It might be in there, possibly a lower silver. So it's it's really really good. But I have to say there has to be an you know like a little bit of an asterisk there. You have to kind of be interested in the source material because it is a four hour documentary. It's kind of similar to the No Direction Home, the Bob Dylan documentary he did. If you're interested in Dylan, you'll probably love it. If you're not really interested in Dylan, you might not care too much. You'll think it's good, but you might not love it. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things. So, But I do recommend. What was it called? It's called uh, George Harrison Living in the Material World. That's what it's called. Oh, my uh, father Is that a Netflix on there for you? No, 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 no. It, it was premiered on HBO. HBO, uh, probably maybe the best company at producing documentaries independently or whatever. From Hollywood and stuff, uh, you know, commissioned him to make this film, or he wanted to make this film, and they financed it and stuff. And he's been working on it for a while because there's some interviews with people in there who uh, uh, are no longer free, so to speak. There's a Phil Spector interview in there, and I know he's not free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's been working on it for a while. So it's just one of those things he probably does between projects. But I always think it's interesting that a filmmaker and of his age is still experimenting with things. So you know, good, good for good for Scorsese. Okay. Say what you want to say about his yeah. Say what you want to say about his recent output, but you know he he, he at least is you know he's at least not rested on his laurels too much. And hey, you know I don't think there's anything wrong with his recent output. I mean, is it is it Taxi Driver raging bull territory? No, but he's not embarrassing himself. He's still making oh, yeah, good true. films. They may yeah. not be great, but they're good. Oh yeah, no, they're all they, that, that, there's not one that's really been a. Stinker, yeah, stinker. Movie. Yeah, I can't think of one off the top. I actually, I don't even know if Scorsese's ever made a true stinker, but <laughs> but maybe he has. I'd have to look. I don't know if I've seen every one. I think I've seen every film of his, but I'd have to double check. I don't know. I'm missing probably a chunk of about ten of his films. I think I, I still have been meaning to see. Um, um, does Alice doesn't live here anymore? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. You should definitely yeah, check that one out. That's a real departure. That one, King of Comedy. I've never seen it. I'm pretty embarrassed about. It. I know we were going to maybe go on the show at some point. Yeah, yeah, we might do that one. It's good stuff. And also, we should be said, uh, that's all I watched, and except for the films of the show. And, we'll, and what, we'll, what we'll probably do is we'll probably not even take a break. We'll probably just go into our first review. But it should also be said, in case we didn't say at the beginning, Will's on the phone. So if the sound quality sounds a little different, <laughs> it's because he's on the phone calling in. It's just one of those things where this is the way we can do it, and so this is the way we do it. So it, it should sound mm-hmm. fun once I'm done processing it and everything. Yeah, and it was one of those things, too, where I was getting killed with my data plan because you lucky Americans don't really have... <laughs> At least in some areas, don't have caps on your data. Yes. Yes. And I got, uh, I think, a gig a month or something, and uh, I was getting just slayed. Yeah, yeah. So we had to work something else out. So. Yeah, like a week or two into this month, my my data plan was in over agenda. (laughs) It's it's funny, a bit of trivia here. I'm actually recording from the bedroom, my teenage bedroom. So I'm looking at it's like I'm lying on my old bed. It's uh, (laughs) it's like a tangerine or a blood orange color. There's a a print of uh, Edward Munch's scream on the wall. Nice, nice. And, uh, please, please, yeah. whatever you do, though, don't go into your teenage, uh, uh, you know, proclivities in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I shouldn't, I you said not to, I remember the day I painted this, and it was in February, <laughs> yeah. and uh, poor girl, man, I took her virginity, and I had the windows open, it was cold as fuck, there was newspaper in the room, <laughs> you know, and the paint fumes, it's February, and I, I look back at that sometimes, and I think, that poor girl. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. We've all done things we're not terribly proud of in hindsight. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, didn't lie to her, and we kind of debated a little bit. But yeah. Even still, it certainly wasn't quite the rose petals in Sade that she. Uh, when you chase the when you chase the brass ring, you never know when it's going to turn up, right? 
Yeah. Or maybe 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 I should call it the O ring or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Man. All right, so uh, let's just go ahead and get into our first review. I guess we'll do um, I guess we'll do Black Sabbath first. Uh, uh, I know you don't have a whole lot of notes on it. I didn't either, and I and I'll and I'll, and I'll tell you why. We'll tell you why here in a little while. We ran into an interesting uh, conundrum with this film because we'd never done an anthology before, but. Uh, this show, like Step Four, is programmed by Sean for his program for Japan and everything else. So I guess, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and synopsize this one. And, episode 153? Did we say that? Uh, yeah, I don't think we did. I think at this point we're just assuming everybody knows what number it is because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, most, like most hosts, I don't even know what number I'm on so most of the time. So yeah. let me. Like, uh, hello, yeah. I thought. I thought. Uh, Let's see here. Let me. Okay, here it is. Black Sabbath. Uh, I guess I can try the Italian title if you want me to. Hear. You would. <laughs> Was it Itri Volti della Pro- Pora? I don't know. <laughs> Paula. Paula. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so okay. So this is kind of a, a known Bava film. Uh, uh, actually, I didn't know that he had a little bit of help on the directing side. Well, at least it shows on here he did. So I didn't know that. But uh, what's that? Uh, some Salvatore uh, Billy. Billy. Ooh, man, Billy Terry. That's a hard name to say. Uh, oh, my favorite! My favorite Italian name is uh, is one of the writers, Alberto Bevilacqua. Bevilacqua. I love the. I love it when they work an aqua in there. Yes, uh, like we work the aqua velva. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so this film uh, is uh, it's basically an anthology, and we'll see what the summary they have here is. Uh, a trio of atmospheric horror tales about a woman terrorizing her apartment by phone calls. A Russian count in the early 1800s who stumbles upon a family. And I'm not reading the whole sentences because it kind of gives everything away. And a 1900-era nurse who makes a fateful decision. And then uh, make a, involving a corpse, we can say that, because that's actually part of the story. But that's uh, really all I'm going to say. Well, we've talked about Baba before on the show, how you appreciate him more than you enjoy him. I guess that's probably the right word. Um, I'm, I might like Baba a little bit more than you. But uh, I'm still kind of in the same boat. Uh, at least I'm 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 halfway there anyway. If anything, I'm in the boat next to that boat. So I'm yep. I'm, I'm, I'm aroundabouts. So uh, what'd you think? Is this the first time you've seen Black Sabbath? Or is this the second time? Or? No, I, I'd seen Black Sabbath before. I I always mixed. I don't think I've seen all of Black Sunday though, which is a I think it's a Barbary Steel. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some of it. I haven't seen all of it, and I hadn't seen actually. I one thing I hadn't seen from this was the last story. The the Wordalac or whatever. Oh yeah, the Wordalac, yeah. Or I think, I, had, I think it's called the Vertilac, or maybe maybe it's like the V. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but I was actually able to track down um, an MGMHD print of this, which had the uh, the Karloff commentary between or introductions between each segment. I don't know if that was one you saw. Yes, that's uh, the one they, they had. It's actually on Netflix Instant Watch down here, oddly. Oh, that's the one. Okay, so, yeah. So it yeah, was on there too. Here, I had to just you know move it out through other means, unfortunately, but. Um, it should be said, obviously, Black Sabbath, Tony Iommi, and, and uh, the <laughs> yes, gang yes. obviously enjoy this film. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> the infamous in that regard, too, a piece of trivia there. But, um, yeah, you know, it is a first anthology, and and uh, Bafa, it's taken us this long to get to him, and it's, it's a shame. But in saying that, like, you, you nailed it on that. I think Bob is a guy that I almost commend to, a, you know, a really pretty blonde. I'm not having the blonde. So I can admire the beauty, and I can see how it's for some people. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm, Even mm-hmm. though there are things that, on the surface, I would like his attention to detail, his production design is always first rate. Yep. The way he moves the camera is uh, very precise, and it's just, it just seems to framed well. And 
you know, but I like it a little more, you know, a little speedier, a little more out there. So I think that's part of the reason that um, yeah. some stuff isn't, uh, isn't quite as uh, high up for me. Mm-hmm. It's more respect than admire. That's fine. I mean, there's always going to be filmmakers like that. It's like just filmmakers that I know are lesser than Baba that I enjoy much more. Right, right. It's, you know, that's not pretentious, but we always talk about film is art, and art is subjective, though. You know, it, it just moves me a little less. Not to say I don't know that there's there's a, a genius behind that, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's the way it goes. Um, so we're going to go, at least I'm going to go story by story, or, you know. That's fine. Uh, I can go ahead, that's the kind of way I take my notes. Um, so I, I think we haven't talked about this yet, and that is that it, we may have mentioned Boris Karloff being in it, and, of course, Karloff, if you're into horror movies, Karloff, it really is in the Mount Rushmore of horror. Yeah, yeah, he's probably one of the most influential actors of all time involving horror, yes. Yeah, I mean, he really is. Um, you know, he, he has to be on the much more. He's a guy that I quite like. Um, even from, from childhood, you know, I would get a lot of uh, Universal Monsters stuff and you know, stuff that, that dealt with a lot of those monsters, and I knew his name and, you know, Vincent Price, uh, you know, Cushing and Lee and, um, uh, you know, really those guys were the guys that, that kind of, and Lugosi, of course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I over my childhood, uh, even back then. Um, you know, a Karloff film I'd love to do at some point, and this kind of ties in with the guy we talked about last week with one of the few films I watched, and it was this guy's first film. It's Bogdanovich's Targets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd like to do that, too. That'd be nice. It's a fucking great film uh, with a great Karloff performance. I think that might have been his last film, actually. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, uh, I don't anyway. know if it was his absolute last. He made those really cheap films down in Mexico or the Philippines or somewhere where he went down oh, and yeah. shot some mad scientist yeah. stuff, and they just kind of, you know, scissored it in. Yeah, there was a Mexican one, and I think he was really, he was either really sick or really drunk or really sick from being drunk. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, he was there something, there was something wrong, life. yeah. Yeah, I think that was his last kind of high-profile uh work, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and that comes um, from, uh, you know, Bogdanovich's appreciation of... You know what? What he's probably known for the most is sometimes his appreciation for cinema history. So he loved Boris. So, oh yeah, yeah. And I think there, there was a thing that not to get into that too much, but I think it was a thing where um, he had to use some footage that Corman had cut from a previous film with Karloff, uh, something like that. Anyway, we'll, we'll maybe go into that more when we cover that film. But um, yeah, anthologies are great, man. Um, there's a few I haven't seen out there, but. I always love anthologies. I think they're just a, this is a great medium. Horror seems to really lend itself well to the anthology format mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. some reason. You know, you don't get as many, it's kind of a shame, but you don't get as many kind of crime-type ones or um, action would be good. I mean, you get three 30-minute sort of Indonesian, like an Indonesian anthology. You know how amazing that would be? I don't, I don't yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I don't know why it seems like, it seems like nine times out of ten anthology films are horror films. Horror or like mystery yeah. They're in that realm. They're in that ballpark. Yeah. I don't know why we don't see... I mean, I'd like to see a filmmaker take that on. That'd be cool. Two, three 30-minute action films. That'd be pretty outstanding. Get three of the great cinematic you know, action directors right now. Put them together and make a, you know anthology of action films. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It'd be like when uh, BMW did the Driver series, which is really fantastic. They were only about eight or nine minutes long, but yeah. you, know, you get a couple guys in 30 minutes. I mean, you know, you go wall-to-wall with the action and... Or even even to do something like that for for the ladies for like a chick flick, you know, you get three little neat cute love stories. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. something there for that formula, but it just seems like yeah, a lot of uh, sort of the darker side of film is like what it lends itself to as far as uh, people doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, were you going to say something? No, 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 no. I was just saying yes. I was agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> with the uh, the introductions to each segment by. 
Karloff. I really got a Fantasia vibe. <laughs> the way Fantasia's got that blue backdrop as uh, as the composer or whatever is talking. Yeah, yeah. It, it's Fantasia meets sixties educational film. <laughs> yeah. So this, I, I like I like the intros and and I like those bits and stuff mostly just because I like Boris Karloff, right? But that's, that's otherwise I, I don't I don't think they work personally. No, they there's some real strained comedy bits. And, you know, that's not his strength, really. Uh, he had a very unique voice, but he had a, also had a lisp. And uh, it's very pronounced, unfortunately, in some parts of this, you know. So, you know, I felt kind of, I felt kind of like, you know, bad for him. I know that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I just, I don't know, just didn't feel like it was creepy as more as it felt like it was cheesy. Yeah, I agree with that, man. And I know he apparently, from what I read, he had a lot of fun doing those segments because he kind of kicked it let loose a bit. But, but, yeah, I just felt they didn't work. I mean, these are films that are really... But again, I mean, I guess you could tell us from the crypt with the punny sort of crypt keeper, but I just, I, yeah, I felt they didn't really work either. I, I felt like when you would see, you know, Rod Serling or Alfred Hitchcock, there was a little more kind of, uh, a little more jet black, or, you know, it, it was, wasn't quite as corny, like clumsy older uncle making a bad joke. Right, right. So, but, um, yeah, so the first one opens up, and what's it called again? Um, what, the first one? Uh, if it's the same version water. I watched, I think it's The Drop of Water. Like the drop of water. That's right. The drop of water opens. Because open. the reason why I say this, I think the Italian cut of this film, I think yeah. opens with the the phone story, the telephone. But oh. I'm not positive okay. about that. So yeah, no, it might it might very well. Uh, it opens up in the like, this chamber, this kind of apartment, um, and this is kind of a maybe a really small thing, but it's something you know that Bava does well. I love the flickering light light that's going on and off throughout the story, like it's um must be like some sort of a sign outside this uh, apartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It no, I, it, yeah, it sets up atmosphere and stuff. And again, that you're going to talk about, that's probably what Bava does best. If he, if he has a real strength, it's what you said earlier. You said you liked his production design and the way, you know, he does things. I mean, you know, he frames a shot very well. I mean, his films always look good. Mm-hmm. Well, they always do. Even on a diet, like, you know, it's a shoestring budget. You find a way to make them look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, I should be said. One of the things was he he had a real attention to detail and, and a real eye for textures. And a lot of his films feel very textured and tactile. And I think this was some great tiled uh, flooring and, and sort of wood paneling and stuff. And no, it just looks really great, man. He does a really good job with that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say that you know, when looking back at this, I can't believe I didn't put two and two together when I'd seen it in theaters. But *Livid*, the uh, the Julian Mori and uh, what is it, Steele. Same thing as in the review. Um, they totally lifted from this story for Livid. Oh, yeah? It's the same thing, pretty much. Oh, interesting. It's updated. Oh, okay. Yeah, very, well, argu- very, very arguably, I'll say now up front, arguably the drop of water is, for me, it's the best story of these three. Oh, for sure it is. So, all right, I mean, I, I, you know, as we review each one here, or each little bit here, these little mini-reviews kind of, I just think it's the strongest bit which is kind of a shame because I can you know you open the film with this piece, yeah. and I can see the logic you know because it kind of grabs you by the throat. It's a nice short. I don't know how long it is. Maybe about twenty minutes. Maybe fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's really short. It's about twenty-two minutes or something yeah. like that. And but it's really kind of gripping and stuff, and it has uh, you know some of the best moments and also a lot of influence from Italian cinema going forward in these in this in this first twenty minutes. You know, Italian, yeah. Italian horror cinema, I should say. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I agree with you. I, w- I think if you had have changed the order, if you, this one had been the end, I would have given the film a higher score. 
lost. Yeah, because it would have. Yeah, it would have went out with a bang. That's right. That's right. Um, I love the, the the doll. I guess, for lack of a better description, in this. Yeah. yeah. Really fucking our old face. Oh man. <laughs> that it's, it's comical, but still very unnerving. Yeah, that kind of stuff always drives me nuts. And uh, you know, there's a later scene, obviously, where that reappears, and uh, it's. <laughs> Man, it still sends chills up my spine. I'm yep. not saying it's the scariest thing ever. I'm just saying it it bothers me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it totally does. I got to chill, too, man. There's one when I got to chill near the end, so no, I'm with you, man. Yeah. Um, and you know what the prosthetic looked like almost in a sense? It almost looked like, uh, um, like it was like, it looked kind of like Klaus Kinski. <laughs> like a woman, like a gnarled-faced woman version of Klaus Kinski wearing Ric Flair's robe. <laughs> It might have been Kinski, you know, he was in Italy at the time, so it might have been. <laughs> Yeah, it could have been. Like I was attaching sex at all corners of Europe, man. So it could very well have been Kinski. But yeah, and just the way the way they 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 fashion some eyes or something in either dolls or or painting something, just no matter where you are in a room it looks like it's looking at you. Yeah. That's very unnerving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of doll stuff in that first segment and you know, I couldn't help but think of, you know, Deep Red, which we did a while back, and a lot of Giallo stuff and dolls, which, uh, you know. Even some of the Spanish horror, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dolls became this thing. I don't know who the first one was to kind of bring these dolls into this, this genre. It might even go back further than that. I, You know, I'm, I'm not, I couldn't tell you. I have an encyclopedic mind when it comes to film, but I couldn't tell you what the first film I could think of with dolls being spooky. But uh, this film is definitely a major influence on a lot of the, uh, you know, the Giallo filmmakers that came after uh, totally. So. I think it's funny you said that because I think you see that, and when we talk about the telephone one, that's very much as Yali. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very much. Very much so. Uh, uh, um, as a matter of fact, I'd say it's almost, literally, it's almost completely one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and down to some little details we'll talk about in a sec here. Um, there's some really big purples and greens and reds. Again, you know, Bob is a guy that really saturates certain moments of his films and colors, and mm-hmm. uh, this one's no exception. Looks really great. Um, this is kind of a classic story. I think um, you know you can rejig it a little bit, some of the fine details, but it's a, a pretty timeless kind of campfire ghost story. Yeah, yeah, I'd say all three stories are really. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Because I was um, when, I, when we watched the telephone. When I watched the telephone, I kind of had you know I was thinking of when a stranger calls. Yep. Uh, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Stuff like that, and then of course the the Vertilac, uh, You know, that's a very that's very much gothic horror. Uh, so, yeah, I think all of them are pretty timeless in a way. Um, just the last one I have is when that, that doll thing is, is, is kind of gliding near the end. It's, it's really creepy. Like you said, that was definitely the moment when it was creepy for me. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and I lit up behind it and fucking gnarled face and little fangy teeth. And, <laughs> and the drops of water on the soundtrack. I mean, it, it really is, uh, for me, some of Bava's best work he ever did, and all the films he made, is in that one segment. Yeah, it's really good, man. It's really good stuff, mm-hmm. for sure. Like I said, it's a shame with the order, but it kind of it, it was a lot for me to love the diminishing returns as they went on. Yeah, but uh, I don't have any more notes about that particular segment. I don't know if you want to, if you do. Uh, I got a few. Uh, just did you know? You know, obviously, you know, you see a lot of the movement of camera and stuff, and uh, you know, we have talked about the freaky face and stuff like that. And uh, I'll just say this: is the one other thing, uh, grumpiest lady answering a phone ever. <laughs> Wow, man, yeah. she was in a bad mood when she answered that phone. <laughs> yeah, 
big time. <laughs> but that's all I really had because everything else I pretty much agree with, and I pretty much said, you know, I think, you know, that little twenty minutes or whatever it is is some of the best work Bava ever did. And it's if you had to do a top five Bava, that would that one segment would be in there, even though it's not a full film. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good stuff, man. Really good stuff. Um, so the telephone is the second segment, and uh, this is very Hitchcocky to me too. Mm-hmm. Very Hitchcocky, like you and you talked about just a moment ago. Um, this the color palette at times a little more muted whites and blacks and stuff like that, and um, the camera movement's great in this. I mean, when oh, yeah. the phone rings and it's kind of moving slowly as the phone rings, and you know, that stuff's really great. Um, but I think a lot of this stuff was, was going to get flat as it went on. It's going to get dragged just a little bit too much. Um, for me, anyway, as it went along, I don't know if you felt that way. I did. I did too. I felt like it. It, it really kind of wafes, you know. It kind of wavers in the middle a little bit. It starts to slow down a little too much, and you know, I could see where it was going. Uh, although ultimately, it kind of didn't go there. It kind of went the other way. But yeah. and there's some you know, moments. I mean, the, the Michelle Le Massier, uh, the rosy lady, a very very attractive lady. Oh yeah. Uh, very very much like that, and uh, you know, it was really nice. I like the. This is 1963, right? So they had to be careful with their skin showing. So I like the still pretty risque, man. Yeah, yeah. I liked I liked the uh, the way they would set up the you know semi nude shots. Uh, that was probably my favorite bits. That and there's a cut to eyeballs that's pretty fantastic. Are probably the main strengths to me. Uh, but I will say that the film did have me the little bit did have me. Uh, I was was tense with the waiting for the phone to ring. Uh, so you know he set that yeah, up pretty I, good. I many times so yeah yeah that's the problem see it just you know i don't know how many calls she got but she might want to check her data plan because yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. Bl- yeah, he was blowing it up as the kids say yo <laughs> oh man that phone was blown up man and it was like you said it becomes a thing where you almost want it to be like you can't bear like it, the silence becomes definitely you just can't bear the thought of it ringing anymore and and the the, the ring kind of um shatters that and, and you know what i mean so, whereas with this one, the other, they just did it a little too much. They soaked it in too much, too many, too right. many rings. Right, right, And I like the uh, I like that old school uh, telephone ring. I actually have that on my iPhone. That's the ring I use because uh, I just okay. like that old school sound. Very nice. I have the the church bell ring for some reason. You know okay. that one? Yeah, I, I know that one. I think you might have picked that to wake you up or something because that's obnoxious for me. I, I can't, I can't handle. I that love one. it. <laughs> I can't handle that you one. Know what, well, you know what worked out well was I have that as my my ringer when anyone calls. Uh-huh. But, and it's ironic because I chose, and it was un, unintentional. My actual wallpaper on my phone is my family, but I have a password on my phone. So the, the picture that's on my password uh-huh. is all the prostitutes and the chimp from <laughs> uh, Holy Mountain looking upward. Yeah, nice. So it's you get like the church bells. So it's, it's, nice. Okay, well, uh, then maybe, maybe it works then. You got a whole motif going. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. It was just I stumbled into it, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, yeah, we talked about this one felt very jolly. Uh, this one's very well lit. Again, all the technical things are going to be good with Bob, but you're not going to get films that are really too much in the way of... The only time films are going to look cheap or, or whatnot is because he was only able to stretch that, that $0.10 cents into a dollar instead of $2. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's uh, really uh, what, what the, any sort of shortcomings, if any, he had. Um, there's a funny line in this one, like one of the most obvious kind of... Uh, didn't want to draw attention to myself lines when when the, the lead actress uh, was Michelle Mercier, is that her name? Yeah, this is Michelle Mercier, yes. And Rosie. She, uh, Rosie, yeah, she a whole lot of Rosie. Yeah, well, they, uh, they say her name about 9,000, I was like, Rosie. 
She's still working. She just uh, she did some films recently. She's still working, believe it or not. So. Um, but there's one with her old woman neighbor. I think it was either that or the old man. I'm like, what's wrong? She's oh, uh, uh, I, I I was just frightened by by nothing at all, nothing at all. And then she like oversells it. I guess you kind of got to see it in the film, but it's like one of those things like yeah, way to deflect fucking you know uh, concern. Yeah. So we kind of went about it. Um, yeah, we should cover uh, the uh, Call of the Wild that she did. That's the one with Charlton Heston and George Eastman. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you get to see a whole lot of Rosie in that. A whole lot of cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully she, you know, that was 72, so hopefully the towel, you know, is in a different position. Hopefully Eastman wrote that one. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing, let me let me check that because that might be the case. The yeah. uh, the thing about that is, uh, you know, well, it's got five credits on the uh, the writing. The thing about that is, is that, uh, no, he didn't write, he didn't do any writing on it. Really? Uh, but the thing about that is you got Heston and Eastman in the same film. There's got to be a shirt, the shirt off, yeah. you know, which there's one can get exactly. the shirt off the most often in that film. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> you know, that was in Heston's uh, contract every time. Out. Yes. I'm telling you, I tell everybody this. You watch Omega Man do do the drinking game. Every time he has his shirt off, you'll be lit in 20 minutes. Yeah. You're like, you're the Omega Man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, man. Um, the way some of the cinematography in this film is great, too, when uh, uh, Rosie's getting really sort of uh, whipped up into a frenzy. Mm-hmm. So the kind of in tight and it's kind of frantic and the camera's kind of jerking around and it really evokes that sense of her of kind of this paranoia and whipping your head around at every sound and every tick. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I thought they did that really well. Um, and then last one I have for this one is if we didn't think it was Jolly, the fact that there's black gloves with a shiny knife that sort of fetishized uh, oh, yeah. one of the shots in the film it kind of nails it. So, you know, yeah. here's something you learn something every day. I was looking through Michelle Mercier's filmography. She started in a film written by Dario Argento uh, and directed by Robert Robert Hossein. Is it Hossein? Hussein, Hussein. Anyway, it's got a great title. Robert Hussein, he was a French director. Yeah, it's got a great title, The Rope and the Cult. And the Cult, I mean, not the Cult, the Cult. The Rope and the the Cult. The Rope and the Cult, like the gun? Yeah. Yeah, so I I never heard of this film. That's so funny, man. Hussein directed a really cool film with Tony Halliday that I just recommended to uh, Paul. Um, Fuck, what's it called? I don't know. It says on IMDb there's maybe only two dozen lines of dialogue in the whole film. And it's a leather-clad killer and a kidnap murder plot. So What year? 69. Sounds like uh, I'm going to have to do some hunting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll check it out. Anyway, uh, okay, is that all your notes on that one? I really don't have a whole lot to add to the telephone, other than I like that it kind of goes outside a little bit, because if, for first I thought I was just going to stay in the apartment, but I did like that it went outside a little bit and kind of moved around a little bit. Didn't stay, But I was kind of hoping it would stay out there a little bit, too, because I didn't really understand the logic. Yeah, Ultimately, the film builds up some nice suspense, the little pieces and stuff, but I felt like the actual delivery of the film, for me, personally, was very, it sounds weird, but it just felt very vanilla to me. I agree. It just felt like, really? I mean, is this, I mean, is this it? It just, it just didn't work for me completely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you know, it was 63, I think, that it was, and you can't really use that as an excuse because Hitchcock made stuff that was... Oh, yeah. Even before that, that was just deliciously kind of uh, macabre, and you know, it's like Dial M for Murder is one of my favorites uh, from him, and I mean that takes place all in the apartment, if I remember correctly, other than yeah. maybe the hallway of the apartment, yeah. and that's still good. I mean, it's, it it doesn't feel vanilla, so it's true. I think we can't use the the era as uh, as a crutch too much. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add to that story. I really don't. I mean, I always think, every time I see a close-up of an old phone, I always think of, like, the gigantic phones and those spoof movies. I can't remember which one it was. It had a gigantic phone. I think it was Top Secret or something. He walked up and had a... Because the phone was oh. in the foreground. By the time he walked to it, it was gigantic. <laughs> nice. I love Top Secret. I think we talked about uh, Nick Rivers before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Nick Rivers is awesome, man. Yeah. It's Val Kilmer. It's Nick Rivers. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> uh, so the Verdelac, so that's uh, the last one then. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I can talk about the Verdelac a little bit more if you want yeah, me to. Yeah. Uh, Basically, the Vertilac is definitely, it seems like Baba paid the most attention to this story for some reason. Uh, I'm not saying that it's the best. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know that for a fact. I don't know. He might have paid more attention to the telephone than any. But it just seems to me like the Vertilac story is, you know, quintessential Baba of this period. It's very period. It's very, uh, it's very myth-based. Uh, you know, it's very much yeah. a standard setup. Uh, I don't know if you ever, I guess, I guess it's vampires. I guess that's what a Vertilac is. Yeah, I think that's certainly yeah, what they're going towards. Yeah, I'll tell you, this one really felt like hammer horror to me. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Hammer and, and a little bit of peplum for good measure. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely has some peplum in there. Now, my biggest problem with this story, okay, now it's got, uh, it's got what's his name in it? Mark Damon's in it, and Mark Damon's in some spaghetti westerns and stuff. He was one of the guys and stuff. Uh, you know him more if you've seen him. Be, he'll be back on the show at some point in time. He kind of went over to America, did some films. I mean, went over to America, went over to... Uh, Italy did some uh, stuff over there. He's from Chicago, but you know, he did some stuff over there, and uh, we'll definitely come back to him at some point because he was in like uh, that one uh, request Kent or whatever you say that word, and and uh, that one spaghetti western we're probably going to cover at some point, and then he's in some Django stuff and everything else. So he popped up quite a bit. Tough guy actor, but in this film, not so tough. <laughs> no, definitely not. My, yeah, my biggest problem with this is Gorka himself, and that's Karloff. Gorka. Yeah, Gorka. <laughs> My biggest problem with this, and, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of it or anything, man, but he is hamming it up so hardcore in this. Yeah. And it really took me out of the mood of the piece. Yeah, because it starts off, and it feels pretty moody, man. It feels pretty good. and Oh, it looks know, great, too. It looks great. There's, it looks great. There's some tension. I almost thought we were going to get, uh, like, this uh, this family of vampires and mm-hmm. the way the makeup was on these chicks and... You know, it it felt like that really early on, and then they're waiting for the father to get home, and and there's a sort of impending doom, and yeah, just he's kind of he looks like one of the fucking sheep herders a little bit, and <laughs> you know, it does show you know his strength as to you know shooting production value and lighting and and those things. I mean, he was always an uncredited cinematographer on all of his films. Uh, if he wasn't actually doing the cinematography, I mean, because you know he—that's what he did by trade. He shot some of the Hercules films, some of those Peplum films, and stuff going way back and stuff. So, because uh, I think the the Bava family is cinematographers by trade. I don't know about Lamberto. I don't know. He might have been a director, but it seems like he might he have done some cinematographer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, different type of filmmaker completely, Lamberto, as opposed yeah. to Mario. But but yeah. the, uh, the 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 problem I had was that the story it just it, it felt very timeless. But at the same time, I was not – I didn't feel any suspense whatsoever. No, it dragged ass, man. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm fine with these kind of stories. Like I, I love the the myth-based storytelling. I can get into that too. stuff. Yeah, I can get into that. That's that's not what took me out. What took me out was the bad overacting, which, you know, we might get – I might catch some heat for that, you know, because, you know, it's Karloff. You know, yeah, because, but, I mean, it's, it's bad. I mean, I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but the acting's bad. 
And, uh, I mean, there's nothing else you can really say about that. Now, the other actors are fine. Some of the girl stuff is a little bit. They were, they were lookers, but some of it's a little strained, I think. I think Mark Damon and the other guy, I think they were fine. Um, and the guy, you know, yeah, I, I just thought that, you know, it felt like something that never – it. for me, the payoff, like I said before, is in the drop of water. And the problem is, is the next two short films don't pay off. Yeah. They have payoffs, but I'm sorry, but for me, emotionally or narratively, they didn't pay off. They just felt like hacked together pieces to add to the drop of water, which was good, very, very good. So that's where, you know, ultimately my final score is going to rely on the fact that, you know, you got one third of a, a pretty great film in this in this piece. Yeah. But, of course, yeah. you know, no, I, okay. I, I'm looking at the, the overall score on IMDb is 7.2, so... I find that interesting. I really do. But uh, I don't know if we really have a lot to add. I mean, there's not really a lot to talk about as far as the story. No, I, I got a couple quick notes, but no, okay. I, I agree. It's very minimal. And Mark Damon, I think it's Mark Damon, looked like John Philip Law a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know you know how the Italians were, man. They found a type, and they would just cast everybody to look like the same person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The only, the only, uh, but the only ones, the females, it seemed like they were respected and kind of would diversify quite a bit. But it seems like with the male leads... Once they get the Americans over, they're like, hmm, you don't look like Terrence Hill. Hmm. Yep. You don't look like uh, Gemma. You don't look like, uh, you know, this guy. And so. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. Uh, I'll tell you who I did love, and this was the brunette sister. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. no, the women in the film are all, all pretty gorgeous, really. Yeah, except for the, I guess for the, except for the maid, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe the doll, too. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Kinski, Kinski drag doll. Yeah, I have to get to blow up my Kinski uh, drag doll. It's got yeah, it's got yeah. a tattoo of Doctor Zom on on the uh, the back of it. it's a tramp stamp. Nice, <laughs> nice. Hey, this chick doesn't have much. She's Greek. Yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of, you know, it's one of those things where looking through the filmography or you know, the cast, I should say, only a couple names really jump out at me. But I imagine if I dig, I could probably find them in just about everything. Yeah. Yeah, let me just look her up here as we're... Uh, as I'm, okay. Um, I thought, you know, one of the things I thought Bob was teasing us with, too, early on, was because I think there's a lead-in they talk about, or maybe in one of the early shows they talk about the mythology around vampires and and how some say you can do this and some say you can do that, but the one they all have is that they drink blood, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought one of the things that he did to kind of tease us was show he shot it from the other like from the angle so you could see that the girl's reflection in the mirror so you knew that it wasn't a uh a vampire right 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 you know? um so that was kind of a little wink um pretty inappropriate line i guess in hindsight you know 50 years ago maybe it didn't sound as bad but when uh Kurka comes home and he uh <laughs> He goes to pick up his grandson. He goes, "What? What's the matter? Can't I fondle my own grandson?" Yeah, that's. <laughs> the words there, sheep herder. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> but uh, you know, just that's the first word they back then. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, there was a line when he picks up the grandson, and it was a pretty awful image. Like you see, like this helpless child kind of slumped in, in his arms as he's carrying one. That was a pretty, pretty powerful image. Again, a part of it harkens to the fact that I have kids. Yeah. I kind of, you know, it was still kind of a powerful moment. Um, some of the exteriors I know Bob again we're caught up with smaller interiors because of budgetary reasons but I like some of the wood, kind of this windswept snowy 
uh, exteriors that they had. I thought they looked really great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, other than that, um, the child at the door thing. Mm-hmm. Looking good. Yeah. And the shot through the window was really good. With yeah. Some people observing something. That's the all thing. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to kind of talk about. I mean, we don't usually say this because I, I think we both believe you can talk about anything when it comes to film. But if for some strange reason with the anthologies, it is kind of difficult because the payoff comes so quick. Yes. There's not a lot of narrative and, and bits to talk about, so it's kind of it's kind of odd. So I think we may have found, in some ways, we may have found uh, maybe uh, in one of our you know weaknesses as uh, amateur uh, reviewers, really, in some way. Not amateur so much anymore because we've been doing this for a while, but... Uh, you know, I never really thought about the issues you'd run into reviewing an anthology film. And once yeah, I started well, watching this, about halfway through, I was like, wow, I'm really stumped on how to approach this. Yeah. Well, how long have we been, ta- how long have we been talking we've been, about? We've been talking about the average amount of time we talk about everything. But Yeah, so we still, we're still chewing it up. I mean, we're still but, you know, me and you could talk for 40 minutes about a penis cake. So, I mean, yeah, Jesus. I'm <laughs> sure we have. I'm sure we will. <laughs> well, if we haven't, we will. <laughs> Before I forget, speaking of penis cake, okay. rest in peace, Charles Napier. <laughs> yes, in honor of Chuck, rest in peace. In honor of Chuck, man. He's uh, he's a great GTMC sort of your guy that's been on our show. So it really it's been a, just a, a wacky week for death this week. Yeah, him, Steve Jobs. Uh, and David Hess. You know, what's that? David Hess. And then, and then certainly, you know, you add who, someone who looms over the horror uh, film community so large, you know, being just utterly iconic uh, for Wes Craven's film, Us, Us, and Left, and of course, with the film I prefer to that, which is a knockoff of that, which is House on the Edge of the Park. Right. Which has a really great little twist. Uh, he plays pretty, basically a crude character again. And <laughs> I think he, play, he basically played that character his whole career, really. <laughs> yeah, well, he did the one, he did actually, because he played uh, opposite Frontenero and Hitchhike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real fuck scumbag in that too. but then there yeah, wasn't much better he's a real boozer in that one but uh, yeah but anyway so I, I completely digress I didn't want to forget since you mentioned penis uh, <laughs> I will try to like to show off his fucking ding dong oh, yeah. yeah he wasn't scared to no. and for more penis talk please check out the silver and gold podcast anyway um, uh, I, you, you want me to go ahead and do my scores and stuff first yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Go yeah, ahead. okay. Well, my, my make or break, I'm going to have to go with just the whole drop of water story. I think this is a pretty easy one. Uh, I really think that's the strongest piece of the three pieces. I think it works really well. Uh, my MBT, i got to give it to Bava. I really don't know who else to give it to in this film. None of the acting really jumps out at me. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the people look great and stuff, but it just, you know, it feels like Bava's, like little Bava exercises and stuff, so... He's pretty much the MBT for me. My score, this might cause some controversy, but sorry, man. I, I just think Black Sabbath, at best, is like a 5.75. Nice. I mean, I'm just, you know, I just don't think it ever lives up to the drop of water. And because of that, I mean, I was really, I mean, I'll be honest, man. I was grinding. And this is like the third time I've seen it. And I'll be, yeah. I, don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever watch the full film again. No, no, I won't either. I definitely won't. I appreciate bits and pieces of it, and I think one part of it is a masterpiece. But at one part, really, gets the whole five point seven five. I got to wager against the rest of the other two. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true, man. Um, make it right for me. Just the tense moments in the drop of water. MVT is the mood mm-hmm. in the drop of water sequence uh, segment because I could give it to Baba, but Baba dropped the ball with the other two stories. So I'm going to say that the most valuable thing about this is the, the moments of sort of high tension and. 
Jack Water segment, and I'm going to go just a touch higher than you. I'm going to go six out of ten. I won't ever revisit this, and we're going to catch some shit from people for this, because a lot of people love this film. Yeah. They love it. And, you know, I, I, there's other Bavas. This, this probably is the Bava I'm least enamored with. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll, we'll review more Bava. There's Bava out there we'll still oh, do yeah. at some point in time. Oh. I, I've, I've held off on some because every show does them and stuff, but we'll get to them. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's some Bava I really like. Even some of this later stuff, like, there's almost a castle I love. With an inheritance and a nephew comes Bay of not Baron Blood is it maybe Baron it's Baron Blood, Blood but I think I think it's also known as Bay of Blood, right? Yeah, with uh, Drinberg, I think. Isn't uh, that also known as one. Twitch of the Death Nerve? I think it's known as all those. Yeah, <laughs> it might be all. The same title. And then uh, it's a good film. It's a good film. Yeah, it is a good film, man. Um, Rabbit Dogs, of course. You know, it's, it's my favorite of his. And well, I even like Pla- I even like Planet of the Vampires better than I like this. So. Oh, for sure, man. For sure I do. And then the only one of his I haven't seen that I really want to see still is Danger Diabolik or Diabolik. Whatever. Oh, man, I fucking, I fucking love Danger Diabolik. I yeah, mean, I, I really do. That, that's probably top two Bava for me. Yeah, I know Aaron's a big fan. A lot of people are. I, yeah. I think it would appeal to me as sort of this poppy kind of uh, colorful sensibility. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we might do that on the show at some point in time, too. That'd be fun to talk about, actually, because it's not a genre we do too often, kind of like the spy superhero genre. Yeah, bring so, back the law. Yeah, yeah, bring back the law. <laughs> All right, so that's our thoughts on Black Sabbath. Uh, we await your feedback, and uh, yeah. we're going to take a short break, come back and talk about 1987's Stakeout. We'll be back right after this. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s driving porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Cicerese is a guy and the Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. View of 1987 Stakeout, directed by John Badham, uh, or Bad Ham, you know, 
I ate all this bad I ham, and now it's a lame joke for you. I ate all this bad ham, and now I feel pork. <laughs> no, that's that's really bad. I have a better better bad ham than a bad ham wallet. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah. Come to GGTMC for all your bad jokes. Uh, the uh, the uh, John Badham now. We can uh, we'll talk about the film. I'll, I'll uh, synopsize and I'll take the lead on this review. But John John Badham is weirdly a filmmaker that was very influential. I know for me for a long time. Oh, me too. Yeah, and I and I I, I was going to ask for you as well. I mean, we're talking about a filmmaker that made. Okay, let me go through this now. His first real film was uh, Bingo Long, Traveling All Stars and Motor Kings, kind of a black exploitation baseball film. I don't know if you've ever seen. I know that. you're a huge fan of. Yeah, oh, I do. I like that film actually. I like it quite a bit. Richard Pryor, Rafael Cotto. It's a good film. Uh, yeah, everybody should check that out. It's more of a comedy and stuff, but it's a solid film. Of course, then after that, he made one of the iconic films of the 70s uh, that people make fun of, and people should be ashamed of themselves for ever making fun of it because it's a great yeah. piece of work, and that's Saturday Night Fever. Yep. Uh, it's just it's an iconic film, a film that I I can't even tell. It's, it's probably in my top ten of all time for me. It is a fantastic fucking film. Yeah. The Captain Era brilliant yeah it's brilliant uh so you know i don't know if we'll ever have to do a review of that because we pretty much said we want to do but we'll get around maybe we'll get around to it at some point (laughs) don't touch the head so uh then he did a dracula film with uh i believe it was frank langella and some stuff like that but he did blue thunder war games short circuit now his films really some strange somewhere along the way he got into commercial filmmaking real commercial filmmaking and they kill Bird in the Wire, the hard way, the buddy comedy kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that stuff. Point of No Return he made, which was kind of a, I think it was the remake of La Femme Nikita. Yeah, La Femme Nikita. And then he really got really bad when he started going, I think Drop Zone, I think it's a Wesley Snipes movie. Or it's either him or Stephen Baldwin, I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, it's, it's the Snipes. But after that, after like Nick of Time with Johnny Depp and Incognito, another film he made, he pretty much has been doing nothing but TV films or TV shows ever since. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a shame because I think he's a really good filmmaker, who, you know, maybe made some odd choices. I mean, say what you want to say about Short Circuit and stuff like that. But, I mean, those were hits. So, I don't know what happened. Somewhere along the way, something happened. But, Stakeouts sticks out Stakeout sticks out a little bit in his filmography. Um, and it kinda, I kind of know why Sean picked it. I kind of said to you off the air, I think I know why Sean picked this. Because, honestly, outside of it being a cop film, uh, this isn't really the kind of film I think we would really cover on the show. No, but I think when you look at individual components of the film and little Easter eggs, that it's very GGTMC. <laughs> very GGTMC. All right, so to kind of get going on it a little bit, this star- film stars Richard Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez, Madeline Stowe, who still looks the same now, pretty much. It's really bizarre. I don't know what she's drinking, but uh, that woman does not age. I don't know if you've seen any recent photos of her, but give it, yeah, give it, it, yeah, give it a look sometime, man. She doesn't age much at all. Uh, Aiden Quinn. Uh, in a performance I really like you, man, playing Stick Montgomery. Yep. Uh, Dan Loria, the father from Wonder Years. Yes. <laughs> Forrest Whitaker with a awesome uh, cheap leather jacket. <laughs> and uh, there's a few other people mixed in, a few other character actors and stuff. But, I mean, you can see right there. The cast is, is right there. It's it's with the film. Now, um, the I often wonder, that, that cellmate of Quinn's at the beginning when they kind of set up a thing, it almost looks like an Estevez, but I don't see him in the credits anywhere, so... You know they have a lot. They had a few kids, and uh, I thought maybe it was Joe for a second, who's the uncle, but I don't think it was. So yeah, I don't know. I'm looking through real quick to see if I can find anybody, but nobody says Estevez or Sheen. So yeah, I'm not yeah, seeing maybe. anything. Anyway, um, okay, so the film is basically a buddy cop film uh, involving a stakeout. So you know, it's right there in the title. 
Um, the film looks great. It should be said right off the bat, the film looks fantastic. Uh, I'm actually am- amazed, outside of some clothing choices and a few other hairstyles and things, how well this film still looks. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, I see the filmographer come, uh, the cinematographer come up, filmographer, cinematographer come up, and it's John Seal. So it's like, oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's why it looks so sharp. But it really does look great. It's got that 48 hours vibe a little bit in the beginning. You know, I thought I heard a little sax in there. You did hear a little sax in there. <laughs> so the question I have to ask, man, uh, how would you like to get into a fist fight in a fish fat? That was great. It, you know, I think some of the unique choices that they make with this film to have, the, yeah, the fish, uh, like the cannery or whatever it was, uh, fight was great. Dreyfus was just, just in the fish. Yeah. And um, the fact that they set the film in Seattle was a really, uh, no pun intended, segueing from a fish uh, sequence, but it was a breath of fresh air. Oh, yeah. It's just nice to have a film not set in New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I really like the fact that it's set in Seattle and, you know, they managed to work it in without, uh, you know, kind of slamming it over your head, too. Like, they give you little bits and pieces and stuff, but I did like that it was set in Seattle. Like Dan Loria's Seahawks trucker hat? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like Dan Loria's character a lot in this film. Cigars and the yeah. fucking English bulldog and shit. And, uh, you know, we should be, it also should be said, I think we're starting to get into some of the things why Sean picked this film, we think. Uh, he never told us, but we think maybe, you know, uh, he may have said something in an email a long time ago, but I just, that's been, you know, <laughs> we can't even remember what happened last week. So, <laughs> you know, if he said something, we apologize. We've forgotten, but, uh, it should be said great mustaches from our leads. Yeah, man, they're coming correct. They knew they were going to be GG, GGC and C one day. They both decided to grow it out for this. So good on them, man. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, uh, there's a little inside joke too about jaws in there. Did you catch it? Yeah. They're, they're doing like the movie quotes thing and saying that's not a boat attack or something like that. And, and Richard Dreyfus goes, I don't know about that one. I don't know. Or something like that. He's like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even the fact that that first little fight out, it ends with Dreyfus splashing beside like, like the tugboat. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. It's like they, they, they were in on the joke, you know. And, uh, you know, there's also that great joke with the uh, the 16th president of the United States. I'll give you a hint. And he goes, Abe Lincoln, after he opens that Playboy centerfold. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, so one of the one of my favorite things about this film, and the reason why I still like this film, is I think the camaraderie between Drivis and Estevez, although at times can be a little trying, yeah. I think it works really, really well. Agreed. They have a real nice chemistry with each other. The way they joke and the way they kind of kid around with each other, it feels like you know, if me and if, well, it feels like kind of like me and you doing this podcast. It feels like we we know each other's rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. It's essentially the way it would be with anybody when you work with somebody all the time, you're essentially in a relationship, except that you're not obviously, you know, well, I guess you could say you're in love in some ways, but you're not, you know, banging the other person or you're not making love, but you are that close. Yeah. The chemistry is there. And you can tell that these guys really like working with each other. Um, Of course there's some, you know, some drama involved and everything else, but it's some of my favorite parts. And not only that, what I like what Badham did was he actually shows that in the secondary characters in Loria, Loria and Whitaker. Yes. He takes those two characters, and you can tell those two guys are in the same kind of relationship. Yeah, because they're partners too, man. And yeah. uh, it's the two sets of partners giving each other shit, which works really well and is actually pretty funny. I would have loved for a sequel to be made with Loria and Whitaker's character, and they would have called the movie Cold Shank and Pismo. Yes, that would have been amazing. Because <laughs> that's, that's the last name of the characters. They're called Phil Cold Shank and Jack Pismo. Yeah. And if there would have been a film with those two guys, an action film, two cops, Cold Shank and Pismo, 
That would have been all. That would have been probably my favorite movie of the eighties. <laughs> yeah, it would have been awesome, and it was great too because they were these two big hulking dudes, and then Dreyfus and Estevez are like five five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they they have you know they have smaller voices not only to go with their stature, they seem kind of smaller and stuff, and it's pretty, pretty great. Uh, anybody that's ever worked nights knows the frustration of uh, that tree grinding moment when the guy when he uh, pulls up to his <laughs> his place. Which, by the way. I know he could not afford that apartment on near the uh, the uh, the, uh, the sound there no. No, <laughs> on a no, cop salary. <laughs> no, definitely not, man. But uh, yeah, he pulls up and then there you go, boom, tree grinding. And he's like, "Come on!" <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Which, like I said, I've worked nights a long time. You know, just recently got off nights for the first time in twenty years, and uh, I know that pain. I know that pain. It's you know, no, the world functions in the daylight hours. It doesn't function if you're a night shifter. You got to really. Oh, it's terrible, bud. <laughs> Dogs barking. Yeah, anything. Somebody cutting grass. It, it's it's all these little things because the world functions literally during the daylight hours. When you're sleeping, that's when the world's functioning. So that's when it's at its loudest. So it's, it's just a pain in the ass. Okay, so 30 minutes, 52 seconds in, we get the cameo appearance of one of the favorite beverages, if not the favorite beverage yeah. of the GGTMC. Dreyfus <laughs> represents yeah. with today and the beat. Yes, it was sweet. Yeah, I, I was watching it with my wife, man, and I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> I had forgotten all about it. It's one of those things where I'm so used to seeing it in Italian cinema and everything, and all these Euro crime films we've been talking about for the last couple of years, and all this stuff. And then, boom, here's an American film from 1987, directed by a commercial director, John Badham, starring very commercial actors, and there's a nice, sweet bottle, unopened, of J&B, being caressed by Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, that was great, man. <laughs> It's a great little moment. Yeah, and I also like that moment where he says, like, kiss, uh, kiss his wife for him, and he's like, yeah, and he goes, and nothing, lower, lower. <laughs> and he hangs yeah. up. <laughs> I wrote that down. That was great, man. Yeah. So, uh, you know. That, that happened right after he was admiring the JMB bottle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so I love that. And I also like all the little moments that uh, Dreyfus gets caught up. It should be said, I, I don't think this is giving too much of the story away. Uh, you know, they're on the stakeout. They're watching Madeline Stowe's character. Aiden Quinn is the ex-boyfriend who's broken out of jail. Um, he's got some money stashed with Maria's uh, character, which should be said. There's also a great moment where they evidently Maria went on a diet or something. They say she weighs 313 pounds, and Richard Driver yeah, goes. Yeah, They never kind of, they just did that one. They touched on it. This is two weeks in a row after the revenge last week where we've had money stashed by criminals. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. It's true. They say she weighs 330 pounds, and Richard Dreyfus goes, I hate my job. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then later on, of course, when Madeline Stowe shows up and she's starting to undress in the house across the street, he's like, Ooh, I love my job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is pretty funny, you know? So there's these, I mean, there, there's some cheesy comedy, but I think it still holds up pretty well when you consider the age yeah. of the film, you know? Those are 20, what is it, 24? Going on 25 years now. It's crazy. I, I can't believe that. It seems like yesterday this film came out. Uh, I do have a problem with some bits of the scene. Okay, so uh, Madeline Stowe's character, Maria, lives in Seattle. Okay. It doesn't take a genius to know Seattle's the rainiest city in the United States. Uh, why would she ride a bike to the grocery? I, I, just, yeah, I, I mean, instead of I taking know. her VW Rabbit, which she drives everywhere else. So I, that didn't make any sense to me, but, you know, hey. The make, make cute. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. It, it sets up a whole meat cute scene with a pretty funny scene with Richard Dreyfus improvising about, you know, what he eats and stuff with the, yeah. the cashier. <laughs> so, you know, some pretty funny moments there. Um, uh, they found a way to work the finale somehow of this film into a sawmill that is fully functional, obviously, with nobody there. 
This is, of course, you know, a GGTMC favorite of the 80s. You know, whenever there's a factory somewhere, for some strange reason, everything is left on just in case there happens to be a struggle between good, good and bad. Good and evil, <laughs> yes. And it should be said that yeah, the wood chippers were even left on. Yeah, everything. Everything. It's, you know, lights. I mean, there's nobody to be found anywhere. Nobody. This whole, this whole thing's running by itself. <laughs> so. There's nobody to be found, and the backup doesn't show up until they've already... <laughs> yeah, that's always convenient, too, right? ...their business. <laughs> and one of the cops... This, I'll tell you what, actually, I'll, I'll get to this, actually. I'll get to this. Well, it's one of those things, too, where it's, it's, it's kind of what I miss about cinema, too, in some ways. I kind of look back on it with a little bit of nostalgia, because if there were cell phones, the whole thing could be eliminated in two minutes, right? Uh, you know, it's one of those things where cell phones have changed cinema so much that you literally have to have a scene of somebody losing their cell phone before they have that scene now. That's right. Uh, because, you know, everybody's going to always think, why not just call the cops? Why not just call somebody? You got your phone on you, you know, pull out the iPhone. You know, so. Yeah, it's always something you got to deal with now. But I think that, you know, this, this, the, the, the problems I have with this film don't really involve any of the acting, any of the direction. I think all that's fine. My biggest problems with this film, if I have any issues, is it's it's a little long. It is. It's two hours long, man. Yeah, it's a two hour long film. There's a lot of filler. Uh, there's like you feel like there's some comedy bits that like either Dreyfus didn't want to lose, or Badham didn't want to lose. Uh, some of them I think fall flat. Some of them aren't very funny. But uh, then there's some other scenes too that I think are are kind of pointless. I can't really think off the top of my head. There's there's a scene where. I don't know. They, I guess they just wanted to shoot it because they were out and about, and 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 Quinn and his uh, cousin or whatever out and about, and you know they have him working on the car and stuff. I don't I don't think that was necessary, uh, no. but it, you know it looked good because it was shot on one of those. You know it looks like they were in where they. I think they were coming from Canada, right? They went up into Canada, and then coming back down into Seattle, I think, to kind of get away. Yeah. So I would guess that's kind of like the Vancouver area, British Columbia, kind of like that. Yeah, that's what yeah. it would have to be that area, right? Yeah, <laughs> certainly exactly. is in Toronto. <laughs> Take a long time to drive from Toronto to well, Seattle. I can tell you that. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, so you know, I think there's some filler in there that just doesn't need to be there. Um, even the car chase, to me, honestly, even that car yeah. chase between the Grand Prix that uh, Quinn's driving. And the cops, I, I just, I don't feel like it was even necessary. But, I agree. I guess I definitely think there's filler in that. Yeah, so it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that in there, and it could have been leaned down easily. Probably another, even, I mean, Jesus, you could probably cut a half an hour out of this film and have a nice lean, tight thriller. Um, I'll say this about the, my final note about this. Uh, it's a very, it's a very good film, uh, but please, whatever you do, avoid the sequel. Because I've seen the, have you seen the sequel? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry you saw it. The sequel's bad. Yeah. The sequel's bad. Yeah, it it's really bad. Rosie's in it, no? Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell's in it. I don't even know why I watched it. I guess because I was hoping to catch some of that magic again. But, yeah. Uh, no, it was bad. I waited too long. It was six years, I think. And... Yeah, it was. It was not good. It might have its fans, but I'm definitely not one of them. No, exactly. But that's all I got. Okay, I'll try to keep it tight here so we can do a little bit of feedback finally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so early on, Aiden Quinn's rocking like Sly's Nighthawks or Al Serpico uh, with like that beard, kind of shaggy look. Oh, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's incognito, but uh, yeah, we talked about the film looking good. The prison looks good. It's got that, like, that narrow hallway and those kind of zigzag stairs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they didn't have much prison, so there wasn't much need for it, but it looked good what they had. Um, you know what is a like just a major '80s 
film convention, mostly in action or action comedies, is the the steam from the manhole in an alleyway. <laughs> it's it's literally ten degrees in every movie in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Even even in Los Angeles. I don't know if it's a fact or not. Some of our guys who live out west coast that listen to our show. Miles, anybody, let us know. Do all your manholes out there? Do they all just uh, spout steam all the time? Constantly. <laughs> um, the what's unfortunate? There's a detective. I guess he's FBI in this because Curtis gets things in motion, trying to be on the to stake out, as it were. But what a glorious bum chin that guy had. <laughs> It was amazing, amazing. I mean, Tom Brady would, would openly weep at how, how majestic it was. Yeah, that's saying something. Brady's going to weep yeah, for it. Yeah, it would, man. He just he didn't get to bring it too much. Uh, that's why they didn't make the character more of a dickhead. Like, they kind of made him a pushover, which is just fine. Um, what's this? Dreyfus. Oh, Dreyfus eats like me. There's, there's that moment when, uh, when they're eating breakfast. And I do this with my... I don't know how you eat your bacon and eggs. When I eat my bacon and eggs... Is what I, I do the exact same thing Dreyfus does. I get my two pieces of toast, I put my egg on the bread, I put my bacon on, I eat it like a sandwich. Do you do that? Yeah, and, and I do prefer, I prefer my eggs runny. Oh, not, oh, I'm over medium. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not, not super runny. I like them over medium, too, so I, I want the yolk to run. I just don't want it oh, to. Oh, I do. Yeah. I want the clear, like, snotty. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want, I want yellow yolk. I don't want the snotty yolk, which is your, what, what, what sunny side up, maybe? Something like yeah. that. I don't even. We're getting into egg, yeah. egg, egg jargon this morning today. I don't even know how we ended up on egg jargon, but no, I agree with you. I don't think breakfast is breakfast unless it's a little sloppy. Yeah. Hey, man. You got to you, you dig in, bro. Glass. You got to dig in, you bro. Do, man. And I hate drinking from the same glass after I've had eggs because there's that film on it. Oh, God. <laughs> terrible, but I always switch glasses after breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's leather pants in this, which Sean knew we'd appreciate. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there is. Well, there's a punk in this film. There's a. A punk, a reoccurring punk character, which I don't know if this is in the Destroy All Movies oh. book or not. I couldn't remember, but there is a punk. Yeah, if it's not in there, I think it might be in that book, but I'm not positive. But if it's not in there, it should be because there's a punk character. Yeah, no, the, like red, dyed red hair. He's recurring a little bit. Um, I wrote this note, and you just said it. I put Dan Laurie and Forrest Whitaker. I need to see that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, that would have been a great movie. And their dog Winston. It just uh, would have been. It would have been a great movie. It would have been great. It should be said too. The the little tricks they play on each other really endears you to the four characters yeah it does mm-hmm. it totally does when it gets that 80s buddy cop comedy vibe perfectly yeah um dreyfus you know he was trying to look tough working the toothpick <laughs> until he stepped up to some dude and we realized dreyfus is like five six <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he can only look so tough for so long and he's in the frame by himself he can get away with it a little bit um Great line in this film when uh, Estevez and Jarvis are talking about their captain. Oh, he always mad at them, and I can't which one it was. Says, "Oh, it was the stripper we sent to the captain on his birthday." And he goes, "Yeah, I told you we should have sent a female." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Man. Uh, and even that they, they kind of openly acknowledge their diminutive uh, stature when they're checking out chicks, and uh, both of them say, "Too tall." Yeah, yeah. Talking to girls, so that was good. Um, this is this has that '80s convention, which sadly still persists in a lot of awful kids' movies nowadays, where the dog tilts his head quizzically at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, it, yeah, in this one, it's not even funny. In this one, it's just oh. it's just kind of goofy. Yeah, yeah. It's very actually, it's uh, very it's very goofy. Yeah, it totally is. Um, you know, one thing I thought of you could swap Dreyfus and Estevez's characters because Estevez was the younger guy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of surprised that it went the other way, and Dreyfus was the guy chasing Madeline Stowe. Yeah. Yeah, well, they kind of, you know, they kind of set him up with, uh, you know, his he's, he's I guess he's married to the job, one of those kind of guys. So, yeah, no. you know, they set him up with the uh, the scene, which I do like the scene. I like the scene where he comes yeah. home and the blinds are gone. She even took the blinds. I thought that was pretty funny. That was uh, good. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those miserable moments where if you've ever had somebody kind of just leave you, you know, it kind of hits you right across the face, you know, it's like, fuck. Oh, totally. Totally. There's some full, speaking about hitting your cross face, man, there's some Fulci fog in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Serious Fulci fog. Um, decent boat chase. There's some, you know, some decent stuff in this. Yeah, the boat stuff uh, is better than the car stuff, which is weird. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And maybe we talked about the kind of little Easter egg for nod to Jaws with the boat. Um, there's, it's not a great members only jacket, but it, it's comparable to a members only jacket. What, the Whitaker jacket? I think either Whitaker or Aiden Quinn rocks it. I can't remember now. Well, I know Whitaker's got a like a like a faux like uh, leather one. Uh, yeah, but it almost looks like a members only jacket. And you might be right about uh, Quinn as well. Uh, I don't think it was members only, but it was it was it was styled in the same vein. Right, right. Uh, you know, one thing you always see in these movies, man. Every time there's a buddy cop movie, at the end and after the cops all show up, of course, at the end when things have been sorted. There's always the one partner man who gets taken away in the stretcher, <laughs> and then the other guy's got his arm around his girl. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the and then there's the shot where it pulls away. Yeah, right. Yeah. The pull away shot where we kind of see like all the lights and the cop cars and everything, and the credits start rolling. Yeah, I like I, I like that too. That, uh, that you know, there's a little bit of comedy element too. Like not once but twice. And yeah. uh, and also, of course, you know, I, I meant to. I hopefully I can edit the. Uh, what a boner line into the show somewhere. So, because yes. <laughs> I just yeah. found it funny when he would say, "What a boner!" <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And my last note in the credits, man, some of that music had hot licks. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this. I mean, this is this is quintessential '80s filmmaking. This has got everything. There's a little bit of neon light. There's some questionable. There's quite. Well, it's not as much '90s with the questionable fashion, but it's definitely there's some questionable no. stuff. Uh, you know, there's sacks. There's licks. There's, you know. Uh, a little bit of uh, there's mustaches, you know. So I mean, you know, it's got like just about everything in it. I mean, I didn't really, it never really occurred to me how GGTMC Stakeout was until now. So it's kind of I, I was kind of blown away. No, it's true. It was it was really a weird viewing experience. It was like like these moments of glee were mixed in, you know. Like I was sitting there smiling watching this movie, and the movie is funny, but it's not like it's drop dead funny. And I'm just sitting there, just like man, Sean really gets it. I mean, he really knows, you know, how to rub our GGTMC spot, so to speak, not our G spot. So he really knows where to, you know, where to rub. So <laughs> nice, nice. Let's um, let's get into make or break, man. All right, uh, my make or break. I'm going to go with uh, all of the stakeout scenes and the camaraderie between the the, the four characters. Uh, like I said, you know, it's really only a shame that we didn't get a, a Loria Whitaker film. Uh, that would have been great, and uh, it should be said, Dan Loria, good actor. Uh, totally underrated actor. Very good actor. So, like I said, for those of you who don't know who he is, he was the dad on the Wonder Years. So, he did that. Uh, didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he win a Tony for that Vince Lombardi? Uh... Yeah, I'm still waiting to see it. But yeah, yeah. Looks perfect for the part. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he. Yeah, I could see that totally. I, I hope that. I wish they'd make a film, and they put him in it. But unfortunately, I don't think uh, he carries enough weight. So, shame. Too bad, man. They probably put somebody like Philip Seymour Hoffman in there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know, Hoffman's great, but come on. 
Uh, MVT, uh, I'm going to go with Dreyfus and Estevez together as a unit. I had some hesitation going back and revisiting this film because I thought the comedy would have been really strained because I haven't seen this film probably in 15 years. Uh, so I thought maybe it might be a little strained and I might be a little bored. I'm not the world's biggest Richard Dreyfus fan because, you know, I, I like some of the stuff he does. He's been in some great films and he can act, but I'm not always the biggest fan of his. Something I just think he's more of a character actor than a lead. And unfortunately he's gotten, well, not unfortunately for him, good for him, but he's gotten a lot of lead roles and I haven't always liked him as a lead. I kind of like him more as a, as a, as a background character, but I did like him in this film. That should be said. Uh, he's got a rather notorious reputation off the uh, off the screen as well as being a bit of a a jerk. So oh, gee, that's really too bad because he always puts such a nice guy on. Uh, yeah, well, some people uh, I've read some things. He likes to you know he likes the sauce and he he likes to hit on the ladies. Uh, so wow, what a dickhead! I didn't know that. Yeah, so you know he's one of those kind of guys. So you know you never know. Estevez, of course, has had a very storied background. So, but not as storied as his brother. So I guess he's doing all right. He actually has a new film coming out that I want to see, Father Son Story. That uh, the way I think it's called between uh, yeah Martin Sheen plays the dad. And, oh wow, I'm interested. Yeah, well, it's a father son story, so yeah, you know, you know, you know how that, that's probably even if the film isn't good, it's probably going to get us. So there yep. you go. Uh, my score for the film, I give this film a seven point two five out of ten. I think it's a solid film. What hurts it the most, I'd probably give this thing an eight if it wasn't two hours long. I agree. It does sort of lose its bit of gas. Yeah, so it's it's like it's like a hammock, you know. the 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 corners are strong, but the middle sways <laughs> uh, a little too much for me. And a little bit more Aiden Quinn. I like Aiden Quinn quite a bit in this film. I like it when he plays bad guys. He's got a he's got that pretty boy face, and he's usually always in romantic comedies and stuff. But I like him better as a bad guy. I think he's got a good bad guy face for some reason. So that's just me, though. But that's my thoughts on Stakeout. Very nice. We're fairly close, man. Make or break the the Stakeout scenes. I agree, they're great. And not only for the, the two leads, but the two secondary characters of uh, Whitaker and, and Laurie, they're really great. Um, MVT, uh, Stephen Dreyfus's chemistry, fantastic. It really is what the film hinges on, and it works great. The scenes when Estevez is kind of spying out for him when, when Dreyfus is in the apartment. Also, it's a shit night. It's a, they felt like partners, which is good. Much was a 7 out of 10. I, I definitely would have probably even 7.5. I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. So... Yeah, and for those of you who have never seen it, I think you'd be in for a pleasant surprise. I think you'd be pretty interested to see, you know, first reactions to it because it's actually, you know, you may have avoided it because you thought, oh, Dreyfus Estevez, because these guys aren't exactly the most popular actors in the world anymore. They're not cool names or sexy yeah. names anymore. That, uh, yeah, it's it's a much better film than you would think. And then the, the box art would give you a look at it because the box art, I think the box art's kind of cheesy myself. I remember that box <laughs> very distinctly from my childhood. Yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of cheesy myself. But good moments, good film. Uh, nice little dance moves, too, also should be said from a oh, yeah. little Richard Dreyfus some dance moves. All right, uh, that's our review of Stakeout. So we're going to come back, uh, try to knock out a little listener feedback. And uh, not a lot, but a little. Uh, we're, we're chipping away. Uh, so we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. <coughs> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. 
So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. get some listener feedback we got a little bit of time left so we're going to try to knock out some listener feedback again we're going to have some voicemails that are older than what we're actually going to play today but we're kind of drawn for time as we have been a lot lately uh the important thing is we're just going to get to a few so uh let me see let me see what i got going here large william uh let's see here i'm trying to find some good length ones here we go got one from uh the bren he was on the show recently here we go Hey, gents. Um, Brian here. Just uh, first off, I want to say how much I enjoyed Will's mum's cameo on the show last week. It was um, nice to hear the international accents coming uh, nice and strong there. Uh, so when you were talking, well, just Sammy, actually, when he was talking about Harold Lloyd and uh, Buster Keaton and all that last week with the uh, scandals and things like that, it reminded me of Fatty Arbuckle and his little scandal. Um, when he he actually lost his whole career, one of the, yeah. the first ever media scandals. There was a girl that um, uh, he was done for manslaughter because uh, he had allegedly had his wicked way. It was actually it turned out to be uh, uh, an ice an ice uh, shard uh, had been pleasuring her with it and ended up ruptured her inside and she uh, died over it. But uh, the media got hold of it and changed the ice shard into. Uh, it's either a Coke bottle or a Pepsi bottle, and uh, there was a whole big uh, scandal. But over the course, he ended up he lost his whole career and uh, died of alcoholism, the whole usual stories. But uh, Buster Keaton actually uh, took him under his wing and financially supported him because Fatty Arbuckle had given him his uh, big break in, in back in the days. And I remember there was a chain of... Uh, like theme restaurants back home called Fatty Arbuckles, and I'm not too sure whether or not Coke or Pepsi products were sold there, but uh, I'm sure they got over the the whole scandal of that. So anyway, I mean, I really enjoyed being on the show last week. Uh, the other weekend, I'm, I'm uh, excited with bated breath to come back on to actually do the, the Revenger and Jangle uh, the Passer. So have a day is one and all. So they were living in a time machine because Brad's since right. been on the show and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. I did also. I don't know if I ever told you, but I did love the cameo from your mother when you did that one. That was pretty. That was pretty great. <laughs> and I had to stop it. She was going, you know, motherly instincts. Was my cousin is a little bit younger than me, early twenties. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Mom. You know. One of my favorite things you always do whenever you run into somebody when you're recording those is when you say, "Yeah, I'm doing my show. Uh, let me get back to you." <laughs> yeah. I just love that. That's part of your regular dialogue. You know, it's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm doing my show right now." <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, because otherwise people know, man. I like to talk, so it's good to put the tie back, tie back on yeah, and it should be said what he said. You know, we didn't. I didn't bring up Fatty Arbuckle. I like Fatty Arbuckle. I don't know if any. Uh, uh, there's a lot of stories out there about it. I don't even know if it's actually ever true. Um, there's a lot of people out there that deny. I mean, there's a lot of historians out there that say that it probably wasn't really true. Uh, something did happen, but he might not have been involved. He might have just been there. Uh, he might have done it. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but at the same time, uh, it did ruin his career. That I could. That I do know. And uh, Keaton was the only one that would give him a chance afterwards. So. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Depends on your, uh, you know, your take on the story. But yeah, 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 you can argue both ways. I think it's weird though that it got Arbuckle, and then a lot of that scandal didn't get Chaplin until much later. Uh, you know, with the young girls, the young girls thing was a big problem in early Hollywood. So, yeah, yeah. so and when I say young, you know what I mean. <laughs> All right, so uh, here's uh, the next one. This is from Zeke. Gentlemen, it's Zeke. I am calling in to happily report that uh, our cheerleader Kickstarter campaign was a success, and I wanted to just call to express my gratitude to you guys for having me on the show to help promote it and uh, say thanks to your listeners that um, I've made friends with on Facebook and Twitter since being on my appearance on uh, the episode and um, the people that supported us and everything. Just you, you have such an awesome listener base, and you guys are fantastic. So. Um, yeah, I just wanted to call in with that. Thanks. Uh, I really dug Brian on the show last week and look forward to, uh, the Django, the bastard discussion. And we'll definitely be checking out that Connery film because, uh, Connery with a giant caterpillar under his nose is always worth watching. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, there's good old Zeke. That's good. Awesome that he reached his goal. I'm really happy, man. Great guy. It was great to get him on. Once he gets to the fat, we'd like to get Zeke back on again. And maybe we could do our part and chew the fat with a good friend at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Get Mike Malloy back on. It's really, it's really great to get these, uh, you know, up-and-coming filmmakers and talk to them and stuff. I mean, I know it's a you know, I know I it's a big deal to you. It's a big deal to me. And, you know, I mean, Mike Malloy has made my – we haven't really talked about it yet, but uh, maybe we'll just review it or something. But, I mean, Mike Malloy's made my favorite film of this year. And, and I, you know, it, it just hits everything so perfect. And so, you know, everything that I love about cinema. So kindred spirits, I think me, you and Mr. Malloy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. You got, uh, let's see, you got time for one more. You, you want to clip it one there? More. One more? Let me, let, me, one more yeah. let me see if I can find one. That's a, okay. Here's a new listener. Let's do this one. It's a two minute one here. Here we go. New listener. Hey guys, how are you? This is Jeff from SF. I am uh, just uh, been listening to your show now for a couple months now, I'd say. First time I've actually called the show. Um, guys, I, you know, I, I've basically, uh, you know, let's face it, work and life and kids and, and, you know, everything else. You don't have that much time to listen to a lot of shows. But your guys is the one show that that along with another one, Horror, etc., which is a really cool podcast as well. You guys is pretty much the only show that every week I, I just truly look forward to listening to. I mean, having grown up on the movies that you guys talk about, it, it's awesome to just uh, get to relive. You know, uh, every week I get like a, a new wave of nostalgia as you guys talk about the films of my youth. And, you know, as a 40-year-old guy, you know, who had basic cable growing up, this is it's fantastic guys just to get uh, to get to you know remember these movies again that you love so much as a kid um, 
the only thing that kind of was frustrating is just that as a, uh, a fan of these movies, they're not easy to find. Uh, you know, and when you're talking about Deadly Prey or Hands of Steel or The Last Shark or, or God, Never Too Young to Die, and you don't get to watch these films, I mean, it's not enough just to hear you guys talking about them. I want to watch these movies badly, you know? And um, I have found a website, iOffer.com. Um, I'm, it's not an advertisement or anything, but they, that's where I've been able to buy all these movies. So just a suggestion. Interesting. Um, but hey, guys, I love your show. One thing I've seen is that you've had a – do you guys ever do, like, requests? I think a car race show, something like a Dirty Mary or a Vanishing Point would be fantastic. Hey, guys, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I love the show, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. So thanks, Jeff. Yeah, it sounds like his phone cut out a couple of times, but uh, I know he said Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Uh, that I know, yeah. and uh, you know, and he, he brings up an interesting point. He brings up uh, request shows. Well, when we originally started this show, Jeff, if you haven't gotten gone back that far, you might not have. You've only been listening to a couple months. We actually did. We used to do one a month, right? We used to do one uh, or try to do one a month of listener request shows. Uh, we got away from it. We've done some other things since. We've been programming our shows now with these other things. We want to get back to that. We just It's just one of those things where it's, it's gotten out of whack, and we can't seem to get the schedule going again right now. But it is going to come back because we both love doing those shows because we always found some interesting little thread. When somebody would pick two films, there always seemed to some, be some interesting little commonality between the two films. And uh, that, that was always kind of interesting to me. Yes. Yeah, so we look forward to yes. getting back to that, and hopefully we will at some point. So. I say that's all of our feedback for this week. Uh, we'll try to get to more of it next week, obviously. So, again, don't stop sending it in. You guys aren't, which I appreciate, so just keep sending it. I have a hard drive. I can hang on to it forever. We will get to it, I promise you. Yes, yes so, exactly. You got any? Uh, you want to go with the pleasantries? Uh, you, you're so good at that. I, I, you guys, when you're not on the show, I don't do it, so there you go. <laughs> that's cool, man. I got this sticky note in your front of me. Or that book, your rooms, your flights, your cars. It's going to be fantastic. Snifters in Cincinnati. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that so, picture so. Uh, Brian put up. Awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was great, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that um, I love that you guys just look so cool, you know. <laughs> Both yeah, of you just right. standing there looking at it like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's going to be a mess. Take <laughs> uh, a show show, OTC. All of our friends over at Palaver.com. Take a hammer kiss. Hammer kiss. I'm thinking of the Snifters. Take a hammer kiss. Uh, so it's an awesome paleo cinema. Paleo cinema. Do we say um, do we say Sylvan Go when we do that? I don't even know if we do or not. But oh my, oh yeah, it's at the top. It's written in small letters. Check out Silva and Gold, our sister show, our spinoff show. A great show. It's really getting a great following, man. Those guys are really kicking it into high gear, and I'm really happy to see that they've they've become uh, they have a force here. So yeah, yeah. On them. I'm very happy with them also that they they managed to find a way in every week to do two hours and forty five minutes. <laughs> yeah, good on them, man. Yeah, on them. Uh, check out Married with Clickers, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, The Cinema, uh, Podcast with Honor and Humanity, Criterion Cast, The Projection Books. Also check out ParaCinema.net, NightmareTheater.Blip.TV, WeAreYoungMonster.com, and Teleport-City.com. Uh, blogs, these are all about Blogspot.com, the GDTMC, Rupert Pumpkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Save My Baby, Fist of B-List, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, DeathRattle.net, lightningbugslayer.com, cinemasatory.wordpress.com. And our sponsors, check out dialogdvd.com 
cinema bazaar for all your hard-to-find genre needs. A lot of the movies we cover can be found over there. Uh, promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders. Check out omg-entertainment.com. GGTMC10 uh, for 10% off your orders. And Camera Obscura. Yes, also, sir. Facebook, uh, Twitter, iTunes, and we have a donate button. We're going to get a Kickstarter campaign going soon mm-hmm. so we can uh, kickstart some single arrows into uh, our coffers so we can uh, don't have to worry about the cost associated with the show. Right, right. So that is that. Now, uh, I think we're going to do the program for Japan next week, no? Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm totally down with that. Which one are we doing, okay. though? I, I'll leave that up to you. Which one are we doing? We are doing one for our good friend Tyler Kennedy. Okay. And uh, Tyler's really picked an interesting uh, set of films here. He picked The Shop on Main Street, uh, Slovakian film, 1965. What's it called again? The Shop on Main Street. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said He's Shark. On, I thought you said Shark at first. And I was like, I've never seen this film. Incredible. So. It's a film. Um, and uh, the second show, second film is Seven Beauties, which is a Lena Verkmuller film with uh, our boy... And one of the reasons my second son, Braden's middle name, makes this, uh, starring Giancarlo Giannini and Fernando Ray. Oh, nice, nice. So, Fernando Ray back Ray. on the show again. Yeah, man. He's popping up. Back. Ever, yeah, ever since Cabo Blanco, he's been popping yeah. up, man. Yeah, he has, man. <laughs> so, Tyler said he'd like to be on the show with us. If he can come on during our crazy schedule, we're fine with it. Yeah. If not, uh, he's going to record a little something-something for us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If he could come on, that'd be great. Uh, just hit hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what your schedule's like. Uh, we'll, we'll try to work with it as much as we possibly can, the two of us. So. Yes. That'd be yes. great. And uh, I think with that, there's one thing left to say. Yep. That is adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.